When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. This show's about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got a lot of fundamentals of dating, attraction, body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, and a lot of the personal characteristics that make somebody truly magnetic. We've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California as well. Details at bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Notice the two dots in there. Or give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177. Or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I do read everything. And I'm looking forward to meeting you guys here at The Art of Charm. Now, today we're talking with my friend John Davis. We're gonna, he's a veteran, so happy Veterans Day, everybody. But we're talking about adapting back to culture, civilian culture, that is, going to college after deployment in Iraq and getting a job thereafter, sticking points of civilian life for veterans, do's and don'ts of working with and hiring vets, and how to piss off a vet instantly. So enjoy this episode of The Art of Charm, this special bonus for Veterans Day. We got a special show for you today. We're dedicating this entire episode to veterans in recognition of Veterans Day this week. It's part of a special project called VoicesForVets.co. For the first time ever, over 45 podcasts have come together to share their collective voices on behalf of veterans. We encourage you to listen to some of their inspirational stories and the tough challenges they're overcoming at VoicesForVets.co. Today I've got my friend John Davis with us here. You're a veteran. uh, Too bad there's no like multi, right? You're just a veteran once. But you were actually a veteran twice, if we're going to get technical about it. You served a couple tours with the Marines. I'd rather let you introduce yourself because uh, I don't know enough about what it's like to be in any sort of armed forces. So I'll I'll let you do it, because especially because you're going to do it in that like modest way that soldiers do it, rather than me embarrassing you. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I really appreciate that. Um, yes, I was um, I was in the Marines. Uh, I served two tours in Iraq as um, back in 2005 and 2007. I got out as a sergeant in 2008. After that, I went to college and had that crazy adventure. Then I got my business degree, discovered later that I hate business, and um, started writing and became a teacher. Wow. Okay. So that's quite a bit of there's, – there's quite a bit there. There's some stuff going on there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So how old were you when you went to Iraq the first time? 
Um, the first time, the first time I was 19 years old. So I mean, we were. Uh, it, it was it was a real like storybook. Every every movie you've ever seen. It was it was us in my life. Uh, got married straight out of high school. 18 turn I turned 19 in boot camp. Less than a year later, I'm in Iraq. And I mean, I if I read my book, I wouldn't get to make it through. But that's 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 how it was. It was it was crazy back then. So you're. You're basically, I mean, you're straight out of high school, and I'm trying to think what I was doing after high school. It wasn't much of anything grown-up-y. And I went to college and, you know, drank with friends and studied a lot. And I was the grown-up one because I'd already gone to Germany and sort of gotten a lot of that out of my system. You went to Iraq, and we'll get to that in a second, but what, you after after you came back, you went to college. What was that like? Because weren't, how old were you when you went to university finally? Oh yeah, I started. I started as a freshman. I started as a college freshman. I was 22. I'd already been a sergeant in charge of a team of between 12 to 20 people, um, millions of dollars in my responsibility, and then I got demoted to a person who just graduated high school and had to be had to call a lot of people, my peers who had a lot of life experience to gain. So that was. That was another. That's that's why I call it an adventure, really. That's that's interesting. So you kind of went. I mean, it's for me. It seemed really strange to go to college suddenly, at the age where you've already been responsible, like you said, for just straight up lives. I mean, real people's lives. A lot of stuff going on. That's that's for re, that's serious business, right? Not just not just what I was responsible for in college, which is like reading my anthropology book and my econ 101 book and then showing up to class enough to get up to pass. I mean, it must've been like, what was that like? I mean, when you and I were talking offline, you kind of, you kind of compared it to that movie, Billy Madison, where Adam Sandler goes to school, but he's an adult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, every, everything you touched on, everything you touched on was exactly the, the stuff that, well, I, I say we went through, like I can say I went through, um, I, I first off, it was it was a real serious environment. Everything everything matters when you're in the military. If if like you're really doing a stupid job, at the very least, somebody is going to convince you that someone will die if you even you know sweep up the room wrong. <laughs> somebody <laughs> will tell you that that lives depend on everything you do. So I mean, it, it programs you to take everything seriously. Then you go to college and you're sitting in like an English comm class. There's a 19 year old who's just talking about whatever it is, and interrupting class, and then you just go off on him out of nowhere, and this is not normal behavior. So I did, there, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of reprogramming that, all right, John, you're in a new society now. You have to adapt to their rules. There's no more yelling at random people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it did. It, it, it was really odd because, like, you take it a lot more seriously because that's what you're used to. You're used to taking things seriously. But the culture you're in now, you know, they have different priorities, and that was that was a lot of what in what went into uh, how we met with the answers. That it's a lot of adapting from one culture to the next, and that's where a lot of veterans finally have problems. Yeah, so let's get into that because I, this show is a lot about social skills and things like that, and a lot of veterans do come back, and we get a ton at AOC boot camp that are like, "Hey, you know, I'm not here to meet girls, and I'm not necessarily here to network for business or whatever." I'm here for both, but I'm also interested in just kind of figuring out how to make a social circle again. And you find out there's a lot of deep 
programming that's been done that protects you and other people around you when you're in a war zone that might not necessarily apply when you're working at Apple or whatever, right? (laughs) At the corporate office at Apple, you don't necessarily, right, like you don't need to straighten up your desk, otherwise, you know, that's how people lose limbs, you know, it's it's not necessarily (laughs) like that. And you came through that programming, and I saw, I met you on Quora, which everybody knows is like my guilty pleasure social network with all those answers, and and I saw your answer there about what are some of the differences or what is it that you won't, how do I get over my bitterness, actually, I think it was, coming back yeah, yeah. from Iraq. And and there's something that you called, or that I guess maybe other people call that I've never even heard of, long-term social separation disorder. And what is that, and, and how do you get that, and then how do we start to fix it? Like, I'm, I'm really, I love that you asked that question. Like, like you were asking, like this long-term social um, detachment disorder, and that's it's it's not really any sort of psychological disorder. It's just something that nobody has really addressed yet. But it's the thing that happens to so many of us who get deployed that don't really experience some massive traumatic event. It's just that you spend you spend months. I mean, seriously, seven months, fourteen months if you're in the army. Like I'll, I'll give them that. Fourteen months if you're in the army and, and the Marines will deploy several times. Uh, twice for me. I knew plenty that deployed five, six, seven times each time, seven months. And this is like you're you're separated from everything going on in your home culture. I I, I mean nobody nobody really thinks about the fact that a vacation is nice, but to spend half of a year away from everything about your culture, all of your friends, all your normal social networks, all of your, even just TV and music. I mean, I, I remember the funniest thing coming back. I came back, uh, I, say I left in 2007, came back, or I, I left in 2005, came back in the middle of 2006, and just everywhere I looked, I was talking to my wife, like, who's Hannah Montana? <laughs> she just took over everything. It was hilarious, because like, during that seven months, she blew up huge, and and I just I just laughed that there's like all sorts of things that if you were to completely separate yourself from the society, you would miss out. I wouldn't but say you're missing than, out on Hannah Man- no, no, Montana. No, no, I, I don't feel like I missed out on Hannah Montana, but it's just that like all the music, all the TV shows, all the things that people are talking about, all the growth that all your friends have had. You see, everything paused the moment you left. Everything went on pause. But That's whenever you come back, yeah. whenever you come back, you're still, it, it's like somebody played a movie that you left to go, I don't know, have a phone call, come back 20 minutes later, and everybody got, everybody else is now in a different part of the plot. And you're like, hey, dude, what happened? I missed out. What's yeah. going on? Have you, have, and, you ever uh, seen, have you ever seen Flight of the Navigator? Remember that movie? No, no, I can't. I can't really say that. It's an 80s movie, and this kid... He, like, is running through the woods with his brother, and he gets, I don't know, he falls into, like, a spaceship, and it goes so fast that he's gone for, like, this incredible few days, and he's like, I want to go home, and then he finds out that his brother's, like, 20, and it used to be his little brother, and he's like, what's going on, and and there's, like, robots and stuff, and everyone's like, oh, my God, because they thought he was dead, and, you know, but he was still a kid. He hadn't aged at all, and everybody else had grown up. And was showing him like you know Twisted Sister, which was the latest music when this movie came out. <laughs> and he's like, "What is this?" You know, because he was born in 1978 or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's like w- without the whole 
time dilation and, and weird aging thing. That, that sounds like exactly like what I'm talking about. You do have that the whole world kept on going. You are just looking forward to that day that you get to go back. But you don't think about the fact that there's nothing there to go back to. Everything has kind of changed a little bit. More than that, like the environment you're in, like that whole seven months, yeah, the world changed quite a bit, but the whole time you are in an incredibly hostile environment. And I'm not just talking about, you know, people shooting at you. That's hostile. I don't even want to get into that. Forget that stress. You're dealing with the military, and, you know, they're just an unpleasant group of people to hang around. <laughs> like, on a normal day-to-day, we'll, like, yell and scream at each other. Four minutes later, we're talking about what a great day we had the next day, or, like, a, a few weeks ago. Um everybody's yelling at you because like I said even if you sweep the room wrong somebody's gonna die and I mean that's that's the mentality that they have all the time so just imagine that whenever you go to the dentist the dentist yells at you for something whenever you go to the grocery store the clerk yells at you for something whenever you see your your friends or anybody else well they probably have something to yell at you too imagine that society for seven straight months That'll weird you out. That right. will really, really take an effect. It's just, it's, it's something like, eventually everybody's fine with it. We, there's nothing to cope to because you never noticed it. It was such a slow and gradual thing that started at boot camp, and you were just so used to that whenever, like, like you've adapted to it. You've adapted to it. This is life. This is your culture. But then you're asked to go back to the normal culture, to right. the regular people culture, and it's just, you don't fit. You don't fit anymore, and that's we're talking about this this disorder that I mean it's not really a socially recognized phenomenon, but that's a lot of why I believe many 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 military people have such a hard time adapting back to normal society. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it would be tricky. And and honestly, do you find that you, what did you miss more? And this might be impossible to answer or miss. I mean, what what sort of was the obvious? obvious missing piece more when you came back was it that nobody was yelling at you or was it that you were yelling at people and they were actually getting upset by it and you were like oh crap i can't do that anymore there had to be some of both right i don't know like i don't know if it was that i missed it but like i just remember that there was that stress that just it never went away um like the walking on eggshells you mean type of stress or no no like just the programming that something bad was going to happen um I've talked to a bunch of veterans that, like, I never experienced combat. I was never actually um, fired upon by actual people shooting. I mean, like I said, like, I went through indirect fire a lot. Um, But that's that's a different thing if you talk to veterans. But, like, I always had this fear that something was going to happen. I mean, it's it's just a natural paranoia that develops for people who are over there. Um, So I came home, and about two months after I had been home, I woke up. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in California in our house back in the rear. There's nothing going to happen. But, I mean, my wife is even there. And I wake up in a panic yeah. because guess... my weapon is not there. My weapon is gone. Right. And, I mean, I'm sitting there freaking out, telling Jenny, like, where is it? And, and like, no, at no point did it really, like, register to me except for, like, two minutes. I was talking to my wife, who was not present in Iraq, about where was my weapon. And she had to, like... Get me to go to, to like come back to reality for a little bit, but I'm not in Iraq. I don't need my weapon. Oh wow! Well, just, unless you live it, in it Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, 
that that's a whole different war zone. I'll just I, I sometimes from what I read, I'd rather have Iraq. But either way, yeah. either way. Um, yeah, no, that, I mean, the, like, that must have been scary for your wife. Yeah, that that must oh. have been scary for your wife because she's like, oh my god, he's having some kind of like flashback or something. Well, she she was she was fantastic. She's always been fantastic. I mean, we were those high school sweethearts. She knew that I planned to go to the military. One, like I planned to go to the military so that we could stay together. And she was never, never anything but supportive about it. So a part of me thinks that she had always prepared for me not to come home exactly the way I was when I left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she helped me get through so much that I just can't. I can't really describe how important it is to have a really, really important person to sort of be an anchor to keep you stabilized, keep you keep from getting too far gone, and to help you come back whenever you deal with those situations. Sure, yeah. It was it was incredibly stressful, both for like for both of us. Um, Take a couple of years where she had to learn to deal with me, and a couple of years where she had to. I'll just say redirect my behavior, but uh, but yeah, it, it was really stressful. Yeah, no, I can see, I can absolutely see why that would be tough. I mean, I can't re- relate on the pers- at a personal level because I've never done anything like that. In fact, it's strange because it's like your time abroad was the opposite of my time abroad, where I was overseas as an exchange student or working, and I felt like I grew so much during that time and. You know, I came back and everybody else sort of seemed like they were frozen in time. You had the exact opposite experience. And now coming back to college, I mean, you must have, did you, you went to college and and you must have felt, I mean, did you feel like, oh, all right, I'm hanging out with these kids? Or was it more like you said, like Billy Madison, where you just felt like an alien and, and how did that affect you? Well, at first I was just thinking, oh, this is fantastic. I get to grow out a beard, get all fat. I get to be like one of the civilians again. It's, it's wonderful. I have no responsibilities at all. And I mean, like, you yeah. think that. And, We're squishy, and, right? It, <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a big joke that a lot of veterans, they, like, look forward to that moment. They, they look forward to getting their, their little form, their little DD-214, and then embracing the civilianism. But, but then, you know, that, that wears off after a couple of months. You decide, oh, you know what? I actually don't like my hair growing out too long, and and you kids annoy the crap out of me. Right. Um, but but no, I mean, after after you start to look around, I, oh, I, it was. I'm glad you said that word alien. I did. I felt so alien to it. You know, like I felt like, like I have these values. You should value these things. They're good for you. Why don't you value these things? And, yeah, that that caused a couple of headbutts. But, I mean, it was. What yeah, kind of that's, that's what, the best word for it. What kind of headbutts are you talking about? I mean, it seems like I don't know really what that would be. And you know, hey, you should value order in this and that. And they're like, ah, oh, whatever, you're anal. I mean, but it doesn't seem like it would break a social. It doesn't seem like you couldn't make friends with them. I mean, it depends. Is it something that literally started to preclude your friendships with other people? Well, what happened? That's that's a good question. What happened was I remember like the event that really, really like sticks out to me was in some class where really I had a, like it was a, a course I paid to be here. I, well, I, I say paid. I mean, I, I went to Iraq to be here. So, I mean, I value it more than maybe that guy who's got the, the daddy scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like I paid to be here. I, I feel like I paid to hear that very boring lecture that person's giving. And you're like talking at regular room volume. 
And I did. Like, I went off him for, like, a second. Like, this guy needs to shut the hell up. And um, it was just a shock that a student would ever, would ever call out another student for anything that would deal with social misbehavior. Ah. Um, and then, uh, like, after that, I, I realized this is a weird thing. This was very strange because, like, after I was just like, shut your mouth, <laughs> there was just a dead silence. The teacher just stared at me for I don't know how long. <laughs> I was like, okay, I gave you a silent room. Go back to speak. Yeah, don't make <laughs> but, this worse for me. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, after that, it's sort of like I realized this is kind of odd, and and uh, I started trying to figure out how I can adapt to it better. After that point, you know, I did – Start embracing a little bit more of what makes me different. I started realizing, you know, I'm different. Just accept it, and I started using that as kind of a successful thing. You know, like I, I, I knew that I felt confident where other students didn't. So I would stand up and I would answer when I needed to. I would, I would be the one who volunteered to give speeches. I would be the one who volunteered to lead the presentations. Because frankly, you know, I, I felt more confident in myself than I felt in a lot of them. And whenever they surprised me in that matter, that was great. I loved it. I I loved it, but I would rather just make sure this got done right. Sure. And um, you know, there were there were many, many, many of the students who I thought were fantastic people. They were great. It's it's always about the minority. You always remember the minority of students that just so 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 did not live up to the values that you thought you should. What about getting jobs and stuff like that? You know, like what what happens when? You graduate from college, and you're like, I, all right, I'm going to get a job. Adults work there. This should be easier. Or at least that would be my thought pattern, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that was – I could talk to you a lot about that. The, the thing that surprised me most was, you know, growing up, we hear about how um, veteran experience, that that opens doors, that, like, makes everything easy for you. Like, job – like, um, hiring managers love to see – veteran experience on resumes and I was really shocked that after I graduated college I mean I graduated with honors I graduated top of my class in, in business school um but I was just really shocked that just the lack of how much people actually cared about the veteran experience and that really shocked me and I started to, to wonder why is it that like I was looking into companies like Chase I was looking into companies like um Lockheed Martin, all sorts of companies, many, many, many companies that talk about hiring veterans. And I was just really disappointed whenever I would speak to them or try to speak to them that they really weren't. After that, I started to look up, and there's actually a lot of really bad things that a lot of these corporate, or like the, a lot that the corporations have that they don't want to talk about. Um, one thing I would like to share is how there's a really negative bias that a lot of hiring managers have because they don't understand the military. I, like I get it. A lot of people don't understand the military, but a lot of hiring managers have this negative bias that, you know, we all have PTSD and the, we're going to go postal. Right. Um, sure. USA, yeah, USA Today had an article back in 2013 that uh, they basically studied a bunch of corporate execs, um, companies, companies like I was saying, uh, Bank of America, Target, Walmart, um, all sorts of different places, and they were talking about, yes, we love hiring veterans, but they kind of make us nervous, and they, they acknowledge that, yeah, there's a negative bias towards them uh, based on popular media. You know, media portrays veterans as kind of psychopathic. You know, all these different portrayals of military people is painting this image that 
you know, they're unhirable. They're they're not only bad for the company, they're a danger to the company. You know, right. the fact that you have people at Procter & Gamble saying that, like, they're concerned, concerned that people might go postal, like, that's, really? Um, and they even went on, like, the USA Today article even goes on to talk about how um, the Society of Human Resource Management did another study of personnel managers, which showed that about a third of employees, a third of, or sorry, it's a, a third of these hiring managers see PTSD as an impediment to hired veterans. And I mean, it's not since like since no one's allowed to ask you about mental disabilities, no one's allowed to ask you that during the interview. That means that they're assuming that you have that disability, and that's really, really harboring. And that's really, really uh, hampering a lot of veterans being able to even get jobs is this assumption that there's something broken about them. Right, that's and just, it's, it's going to be that's dangerous. That's really sad event. Yeah, that'll be dangerous or and or just insurance or lost productivity. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it's, it's just so sad because there's so many things that veterans do offer companies, and there's so few that have actual problems dealing with PTSD that, to have that many just have the door closed in their face because of the potential of the disease you don't understand, that's that's just really painful to think about. Yeah, that's... But it a, is, it, it, it's a problem that's taking place here. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised at that because it's so hard to hire that it would seem that the ability to hire somebody who has been trained to do what they're told and to work hard and is, you know, keeping themselves more or less in shape and is going to be able to take care of themselves and, you know, puts the quote-unquote mission or company first. That's kind of exactly what you want and is basically impossible to find the civilian population, especially nowadays. You'd think that if somebody already went through the process of breaking somebody for seven months and making them do that, that you would want that person there. Um, yeah, I guess if you thought they were going to shoot you, then you'd, you know, but but it almost, that seems pretty unreasonable I'm actually surprised that corporations aren't clamoring to hire more veterans. Well, you know, they're all they're all like saying saying that they want to hire veterans, but whenever it comes down to that individual hiring manager, we're all formed by the stereotypes that we carry. You know, like our perception, our perception in society. Like I don't care if you're military, I don't care if you know, you're a minority, I, I don't care about sexual orientation or whatever. People are going to judge you based on the stereotypes. And that's, yeah. that's, that's the reality of the, of the world. Now, whenever you look at, like, those individual hiring managers, most of them don't have a relationship with veterans. They don't understand them. Like, I was doing some other statistics on it, that, you know, only about 7% of Americans today are veterans. So it, does, it makes a lot of sense that most people wouldn't have that close of a relationship. It's like you might have a cousin or your dad did something, but you don't really understand them. And if 7% of people, you really have a good relationship with those people as veterans, or you know them, or you were, well, that's fine. But about 90% of people have seen movies. You know, they have heard, heard shows, or they read the newspaper. And those, are the, and those are the biases that we're hearing. We're hearing about these events where a Marine does something horrible off in town, or a guy has PTSD, or a movie that features a guy with PTSD. And those are building your, your biases a lot more than these the 7%, the 22 million veterans that are out there today who are just quietly living a life, who are just quietly going about doing what they do. 
you know, that one image that you see in the TV show is going to build your bias a lot more than the guy you didn't even know. Oh, he went to Iraq? I never even knew that. Right, you know, sure. A lot of people don't advertise it. No, that actually makes a lot of sense, yeah, especially because it's kind of like that little that little hidden thing. People probably aren't talking about a lot of this stuff openly, I would imagine, as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard because, like, once once we go into civilian mode, like I was talking about, we'll grow our hair out, we'll we'll get a little bit bigger and they're among and, us. You know, we, we like we don't try to get so we don't try to get so intense about everything. Right. So I mean, there's a lot of people who you'd never suspect that guy was a veteran. You'd never suspect it. And I mean the like I say, seven percent of the population are veterans, but that also includes Vietnam. That also includes the last sixty years that have been off and on peacetime. You know, I, I can't even tell you how low the percentage is of people who have actually been to Iraq or Afghanistan. But but yeah, I mean that's that's the, the biases that those few people who have the bias with a lot of hiring managers are that they're more of a liability than as an asset. Yeah, like, yeah, they're going to advertise that they hire veterans, but it's not it's not a reality. How do we then transition? Not we, because I'm not a veteran. But how would you say? What are some tips for guys who are listening to this right now on their flight home? You know, how are they going to start to assimilate? Or maybe guys that just got home and they've been home for a few weeks and they're starting to get really that bitterness that you and I sort of talked about that you hinted at just a, a few minutes ago, that bitterness that sort of jaded, okay, none of these people understand me, they're idiots, what's wrong with everyone? How do you start to transition from that into the reality that you're going to be a civilian a lot longer than you were going to be in the Army in Iraq? Oh, oh yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, that's the thing that I never, ever expected. I expected I would be weird after coming back from Iraq, but I expected that it would be proportional. Seven months, I'll probably be weird for like a month, and then I'll be same old weird John who's a giant nerd. Mm -hmm. But like, I did not expect that I would be weird like years later. Like, I did not realize that that was, like, I didn't realize until years later that I'm still weird. This is not how I should act. And that was the question that came up on Core. It was, let me see, how, how did they say it? How do I deal with the bitterness that has been festering inside of me since I returned from the Middle East? And and this guy, like, I, I talked to him privately, and, yeah, he was going through a lot. He sounded just like me after I got out of the Marines in my first year of college when I was yelling at random college students. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Like looking at it, looking at it, there's a lot of resources that I put together that it sort of explains it. This will feel like a deviation, but I want to talk about. Okay. Um, I want to talk about a book I read while I was in that, like, I reflected upon later, and it really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, the book's um, "The Code of the Warrior." It was written by Shannon Shannon French. She was a professor of ethics at the uh, Naval Academy in Annapolis. And also, like, the book is just uh, a history of, like, what motivated various warriors, be it the, the Spartans or the Apache warrior or the samurai, what motivated them to go to war. Not just, oh, there's resources over there. Like, what got into their heads. And at the end of the book, at the end of the book, she starts talking about modern warriors from World War II to now and talking about why is it that we're noticing this PTSD thing now? where we didn't really hear about this as World War II. I'll be honest. People who went to World War II and saw real combat saw a lot worse combat than people who went to Iraq. I mean, yes, there are specific instances of horrible, horrible situations from Iraq and Afghanistan, but, you know, you talk about Iwo Jima, Okinawa, mm -hmm. Normandy, you know, we aren't really fighting on the same scale, but we don't hear about that PTSD from the other groups. And one thing that she talked about in her book, one theory at least, 
was that one thing that's different for us that nobody really thinks about that, that happened with our grandfathers and such was that they had this period of prolonged isolation where it was nothing but the group of individual warriors spending time together, dealing with it together. And that was because my generation, my father's generation, the Vietnam generation, we flew to the wars we went in. We got on a plane. We flew to Kuwait. We drove or flew into Iraq. That whole process takes 18 hours. Our grandfathers, they were on a boat for months with nothing but time and to talk. You know, they were forced to do nothing but talk and deal with what they saw and what they did. And it's like, oh, my goodness, that makes so much sense. And, and like, whenever what I tried to get through in the bitterness article was that if you want to get over this bitterness that you have about being in the military, you have to connect with other people who get you. Like, you can't talk to family. Family don't, like, they don't get you. They sympathize with you, they hurt for you, but they don't understand you. They can love you, but they do not understand you. You know, you can talk to friends, but unless they've been in, unless they've experienced anything like what you've experienced, they can't get you. Like, you're going to have to really connect with people who get you. And that's that's why I talk so much about veteran of foreign wars. You know, it's an ancient group of people as far as America's concerned. It's an ancient group, and some of them literally, they're very, very old. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But, like, they, they get you. You know, like, they'll, they'll sit around telling you how, oh, Iraq, you should have you been around in Vietnam. You, you march in those boots. We didn't, have, we didn't even have feet whenever we went to Vietnam. Right. You know, yeah. they'll talk about all sorts of competition stuff. But it's like, if you really, really, really go in and you're really struggling, they get you. And it's like, you don't understand the value of that. Because, like, right now, all of us are really internally focused. It's like, I feel this problem, or like they're not even going to admit it. So they're never going to go talk to anybody else about it because they don't want to admit there's a problem. But once you start communicating with other veterans, all of a sudden you start realizing you're not that weird. But if I could give any advice, I would say you need to find whatever resource to connect with not just one veteran, but, but you know, like a small group of veterans that can really bounce stuff off and that you can you can share your experiences with and, and learn from their experience as well as well as how to go. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. All right, back to the show. What are some things that people don't get? You said that, well, they don't get you, they don't get you. What are, what are things that civvies don't get about military folks coming back? You know, I'm asking you this because I'm guessing everybody probably knows some veterans and it might just be like, oh, yeah, you know, Tom's being weird, but, you know, I don't know. He, was he always like that? I don't know. Or is this, or is this something military? Or, or what's his problem? He's always mad. Or I mean, there's all kinds of different things that you hear, you know. Or what, what's the big deal about this? He's so anal about everything. And, you know, there's a lot of things that the training gives you that could be good, and we'll get into that in a, a little bit in terms of hiring. But what are some things that people just don't get? And obviously people go, oh, Jordan, of course, you just don't know what it's like. You know, being shot at. Okay, fine, I don't. Um, but there's got to be some things that, that are more simple that cause weird symptoms that we don't understand that every veteran does. Okay, okay. Um, I can't say that every veteran does everything, but sure, things yeah. that I've seen a lot, things that I've seen a lot are people who, like, a, just a switch will get thrown. And then all of a sudden, you're like the biggest jerk in the world. <laughs> you're like the biggest jerk and with no problem with just tearing somebody apart. Sometimes, sometimes they have a hard time with wanting very much to just all of a sudden start yelling at people because that's, that's how we corrected each other in the Marines. Um, and it's, it's not even for huge offenses. It's just really trying to drive home a point that, well, like, like just think of it this way. I wrote once on, 
what makes boot camp make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the, the the logical reasons why people are like so extreme in boot camp? And like, I opened that whole article with um, your task with making an 18 year old kid responsible for running to the sound of gunfire rather than retreating to safety. Right, I saw that. That that requires a massive, massive amount of mental reconditioning. And I mean, like, I don't want to say brainwashing. We're not brainwashed. You need intelligent human beings to make intelligent decisions in a modern war war environment. But they can't be terrified of, of things that would rationally terrify rational people. You know, they, they have to overcome they have to overcome a lot of those instincts, and that's that's what the culture, that's what the training does. So yelling is something that people people do a lot. Um, punctuality. I don't know how many veterans I've seen that just like if you're not on time, they want to choke you to death. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, like like I've seen all of them, all of them act the exact same way. That if if you show up, you show up a little bit late. They sort of feel like, you know what, my time is valuable, and you don't respect my time, therefore you don't respect me, and I hate you. <laughs> but right. if, you, uh, if you're that person who just, hey, I'm, I'm running late, and then send like a little text, that, hey, I'm running five, ten minutes late, I'm like, I appreciate that so much. And you have no idea how much you will either ingratiate yourself to that veteran for being on time, or even just telling them, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to be like 10 minutes late, as long as you tell them that before you're 10 minutes late. Right. <laughs> but you have no idea how much you'll ingratiate yourself to that guy or how much you'll really, really, really just close all doors in the future. That's something that those kind of, I don't know, that's something that surprises a lot of people. Um, it's just how extremely um, time-oriented they are. Um, I see a lot of us that were very detail-oriented, Um I don't know. Like I could, I could give a stereotypical reason of why I think that is. I remember a lot of training where we would have like situations where we'd be driving around in a truck and we'd be in California training. But if we didn't see this thing that the officers had planned along the route, like days or weeks before that could have looked like a roadside bomb, then uh, they would dream us out for three hours and make us run up hills because we didn't pay attention. And it's almost impossible tests. But as I said, every if you don't do this right, people could die. You know, that's the right. culture. Sure. That, um, you know, you're really detail-oriented and making sure that everything's perfect. I mean, if you ever look at the uniforms, everything is down to a 30, like a 30-seconds of an inch in where it's supposed to be located according to this giant manual on how to wear your uniforms. Um Detail orient, detail orientation is a massive, massive thing. Uh, I really don't know. Like, there's, there's, there's no real way to say, you know, like all military people have these certain values. But if, if I could say that there were any big ones, those are probably, those are probably some pretty big ones. Gotcha. All right. And and now, how do we sort of work around that? I mean, there's, there's got to be. Well, let's talk about hiring vets. What are some reasons we should hire vets? And Obviously, reasons that we should, and we don't have to go too into this because not everybody listening is an employer, but I, I think it does have a nice crossover to the values that come across in the military that, that maybe you guys as veterans don't get to toot your own horn all that often. Well, I really, I wrote another answer that I was really proud of that um, talks about some of these things. After I started noticing that, you know, there's, there's a lot of miscommunication about what military people are like all the problems that people 
people assume, all the all the biases. Like, like I wanted to actually put a few of them down the paper that, you know, these are some things that military people do add to the culture. And um, I'll just run through, like, a, a bullet list of some of them. Sure. Um, no, su- no surprise but, you have a the veteran has a list of organized thoughts as to, <laughs> as to this question. Yeah. I think that, that alone, that is, itself is a bullet point. But go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess that's detail-oriented. But, um, you know, military culture is a culture of mission accomplishment. You know, like, everything we do is built on mission accomplishment. I mean, sure, Iraq, a lot of people are going to throw questions of, did we win Iraq? Did we lose it in a horribly, horribly, horribly sad endeavor? Whatever. You know, but a lot of people, if you really look at it, no question. You know, a lot of the political mistakes were a failure, but you'll never see where the military failed in any of their offensive or defensive missions. But the whole culture is built on trying to trying to win. If you if, if you as the leader, if, if you as the boss in that situation say, this is what I need to do, as long as you give them the resources, give them the training, it's like they're obsessed and make sure that happens. You know, like that's, that's something that that the culture in the military tries to put in, um, you know, leadership, leadership is something that it's, it's a massive thing. I like now, now I work at a school. Now I work over, um, it's, it's something of a special ed department that like I deal with a lot of the kids that make a lot of mistakes. I love what I do, but a lot of these kids need a lot of direction, a lot of help making the right choices. Um, so what I do is I have them all write essays over these various leadership principles that we talk about in, in the military. And, I mean, it's it's so ingrained that you don't really realize that going up every flight of stairs in, in the Marine Corps, there's these uh, leadership traits like judgment, justice, decisiveness, integrity, all these things that it's, it's, it's such a part of the culture that other companies, they talk about leadership, but it's not a true, true program to try to implement in the psyche of the culture leadership military people do have that as part of their psyche and they will take that to other cultures other corporate cultures if you allow it but that was that's something that i really i'm really proud about um responsibility obviously veterans understand responsibility like i said if you could somehow figure out a way to work in a corporation that people might die if you don't do it right then the military is going to really get you. But they, they have that sense of responsibility because there has been times in their life, whether they were 18, 22, uh, 32, 50, where people may get hurt if they screw up. You know, you, you have that as a, as a formative part of your life early on, and then just, oh, my, wow, yeah, that kid gets responsibility, whereas others, you know, might not. Like all these little bullet points, I'm trying to elaborate on and put on on my blog, and I can just share that with yeah with whoever wants to read it. And, Absolutely, we'll uh, put like it. In the, you're going to put a link on it. Yeah, we'll put it in the show right? notes. Absolutely, we'll put it in the show notes so that people can really look and dig into that. What are, What are some considerations, though? And I loved this in your Quora answer. Some consideration for working with vets after they're hired, and I remember one of it is just like you're not going to get your employer. Your employer's not necessarily going to get you. And it was there was a lot yeah. of that stuff in the bitterness answer that I thought was just brilliant. Oh yeah. Um, well, there's there's definitely a lot of like no nos whenever you're dealing with vets. Like I think that I think that and this this honestly applies to everybody doing everything that you have to be aware of your own 
of your own stereotypes and your own biases, not only the ones that that you have towards others, but the ones like the, the ones that people will apply towards you. I remember the hardest things that I had to deal with were people who either rejected me or loved me, not because of anything I did, but because of the stereotypes. Um, I actually got hired probably not like not once but twice because of what people thought like I did. Like I remember twice in both jobs that I was really unsuccessful with. Like jobs where I was not happy with bosses who like didn't get me. They were they were people who was like, Yeah, you know, we, we want somebody who'll kick down doors, somebody who'll like uh I think get the job done like all the time. And and you know, like we do. We do, but then there's there's times where you don't acknowledge that that person that person may just be a nice guy. Yeah, he was in the Marines. He may be a nice guy. And the problem that comes with that is that there's times where you want this speed and intensity when that's not appropriate. That's not even rational. It is not <laughs> rational to have somebody kick down a door or to act like they're kicking down doors when such actions are not required. But then, you know, you might have that same situation where you get on to them because they're they're supposed to kick down doors. And then what happens? Well, somebody screws up in the way that the military would call you on for screwing up. And, um, you know, you're like, yeah, we don't really like that, you know, you right. You, you kind of reprimanded. You kind of reprimanded Sarah. I know that she's been, you know, calling in sick three out of every five days. And, you know, she's not really sick. But, but you know, we don't like that. That's kind of an HR issue. Right, like, right. Okay, come on. Kick down doors, kick so, down I mean, doors, and then you kick down a door, and they're like, whoa, man, what are you doing? You can't just yeah, run around man. here like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was that was, that was was a hard time. A lot of – some of the other times where I've had conflicts with managers were that they hired me to be – like I say, I say obedient. I mean, if somebody gives you a job, if somebody is your boss, you should be obedient and respectful. But, you know, like they really expected me to be obedient in a different way that they expected everybody else. Uh, they expected me to be like this sort of, I don't know. It's like they expected that they were the commander and I was a little lowly private and that I should want to just run up and salute them and like, hi, hi, sir. Like, no, no. If if Tom over there calls you James, I'm going to call you James. You know, like, don't expect me to call you sir when my peer calls you James. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, like that. Right. Um, I'm not really sure if you hired me to get the job done or if you hired me to make yourself feel good, but that's not, that's like, you're, you're not an officer. I'm not going to salute you. I'm not going to pop to attention. It's disrespectful that you would think, like, it's disrespectful that you think that I should, I mean, he didn't literally expect me to do that, but after I started putting it together, I'm like, like, you really don't understand. Like, I'm not here to be a soldier. I left, like, I left the Marine Corps. I left being a Marine so that I wouldn't have to act like a Marine. You know, I, I'm here to work at a company with normal human beings. Of course. Well, what else? I mean, there's there's so much here. What are some of these things that, that, that annoy you about coming back to civilian life? Just maybe even some more, well, maybe not so lighthearted, but I think a lot of people are like, dude, have you ever shot anyone? Or like idiots, even more redneck, you're like, oh, how many, how many ragheads did you kill while you were over there? Like dumb stuff like that I've literally heard in real life, and I can only imagine it gets worse from there. Oh, my goodness. Like you, you would not believe. Um, once again, like 
people who do this, like, it's such an extreme minority. You know, like, I've come home, and I really love how much, you know, genuine appreciation I get. And most people would never ask questions like that. Like, they're they're always afraid they're, they're going to offend you by anything that they do. And, and, like, I feel like that is a sense of respect. But, you know, so that we have some funny talk funny stuff to talk about on your show. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. There are people who do that all the time. And it's just like, dude, dude, if, okay, one, if you have no military experience, never, ever, ever lie about it. Never lie about it. Oh, you people will do that? Yikes. You will say, just last week, just last week, I was walking out of the store and there was a guy who had a Marine Corps shirt on. And... I don't know. I was feeling especially motivated that day, and I went, hey, it's number five. And I don't know this guy. He's just wearing a Marine Corps T-shirt. He's like, hey, were you in the Marines? I was like, I was. He's like, oh. And, well, well, I wasn't in the Marines when my dad was in the Marines, and my mom was, was a sailor. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's cool. He's like, yeah, I was born on Paris Island. That's, that's where uh, one of the boot camps for the Marine Corps is. It also has the hospital, I believe. So it's odd that he was born there. And um, then he was like, yeah. And when I was trying to get my passport, I had to go to, uh, I like, like they, they wouldn't let me because I was not born in, like, like I had to go to the French consulate because I wasn't born in the United States. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my goodness. Paris Island is in Carolina. Like you're, you're seriously saying this right now? And it was just, it was so disappointing because I just wanted to hey, say, hey, Semper Fine. Hey, hoorah, have a good day. But instead, this guy lies about his parents being in the military and that you were born in Paris. You see, like, it's just, that was so stupid that I can't believe that he would say it. Um, yeah, that's, that's beyond, that's, that's beyond ignorance. Like, he hadn't even thought that lie through altogether well, the, at all. The thing is, that this guy was like 50 or so, so like my biggest concern is that he's thought this through for like decades. <laughs> he's thought this lie through for so many decades that that's, you've been embarrassing yourself in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But I mean, more more recently, like you'll talk to a lot of people, and whenever I deal with other veterans, like my first smell test on knowing if this is a legit story or not, is people who are like, oh, well, what'd you do? That's always the first question they ask. Everybody asks, well, what did you do? I had a very nerdy job. I was, the first time I went out, I was in, uh, I was in the communication sector. I wired a bunch of computers. Like, yes, there were people who, who, uh, like, would do combat missions. I made sure that they had emails. My second time, I had a lot more active role in the war, but I don't want to talk about that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, Basically, I think, okay, if if your story is more exciting than mine, I'm going to start looking at you suspiciously. However, looking at all the people who are in special forces, I'm really suspicious. If you ever say you're in the special forces, I'm really suspicious. That is so much less than 1% of the military community that I don't fathom how 40% of the veterans were all in the special forces. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like those people who believe in a past life you know, you ever you ever meet those people, and, and they're never like, oh yeah, I was just like, I went to the psychic, and I was, you know, wanted to find out who I was in a past life. So, and it sucks. I was the guy who shovels the cow crap 
you know, in the field and, and then burns it for fuel in people's ha- sells it for fuel in people's houses. Nothing special. They're always like, I was a warrior. I was the king's right-hand man, and I was stabbed with a spear, and that's why I have this weird pain in my chest every time I run really far. And it's, it's never, they're always like that. It's, they're never like this mundane. And it's like, really? There was one of those guys in, like, all of, you know, the, the last, you know, century where that existed. There was a handful of them, and you just happened to be one. And you just happen to also be looking for your past lives, whereas you know <laughs> the chances yeah. of that pretty slim. There's a much better chance that you, in a past life, were the guy who turns the shiny side of the stone up on the road and then gets spit on by everybody or whatever, you know. And so yeah, you're right. It's it's like everybody was oh yeah, man, Navy SEAL Team Six. Really? There's like 200 out of the whole world, and you just happen <laughs> exactly. to be that guy. That's weird. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, that's that's exactly the situation that that it that it's like. Um, <laughs> but you know that's that's sort of funny, and that's like the things you run into a lot is that people people have kind of a boring life, so they exaggerate. You know, like I understood for most of my military career, it was a very boring job. Like the times when I was in Iraq, I did some exciting stuff, but I did some exciting stuff while doing a boring job. Um, and people like like I've accepted that I'm I'm really happy really proud of what I did. Um, uh, but people who tell a more exciting story, like I wonder, okay, well that's cool. You may you may have done all that, like but did you? And I I know that some people had to, but really, like you said, one percent of uh, the population were in the special forces. How is it possible that forty percent of the veteran population were in the special forces? You know, like I, I love hearing real people, real people that I know. It's like, man, that was that was a hard story. Like, I really, I really appreciate that you did that. That was that was some great stuff. Whenever I talk to real veterans that I know, like, this, it's a true story. But then there's just so many that you know, it, it's not not as much. Mm-hmm. You you also asked about um, like people, have I killed anybody? Like, I I had that a few times with adults, but working with middle school and high schoolers, you know, like I'll see that all the time now. And I mean, with them, it's totally excusable because they don't, they don't understand things that are unacceptable. But the problem is that there are adults who think like, Hey, so have you killed anybody? And and it's like, I just, I saw a video. I have no idea where it is on somewhere on the internet, but you know, a guy answered that question as like, you can never ask that question. There's only three ways that it can be answered. One, you can say, no, I've never killed anybody. And then what happens? The other person is disappointed. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> you're, weird. You're disappointed. You're disappointed that I have not done one of the most difficult things a human being can ever do, one of the most psychologically damaging things a normal human being can do. And you're disappointed that I didn't do that. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Um, the other option is that, yes, I have killed somebody. And now suddenly they're a killer. Right, and they're like, "Oh shit, that wasn't that wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be." Right, like (laughs) that's not a fun answer. No, it's not. And it's like, yes, I have killed somebody, and it was it was horrible. And you'll never look at that person again the same. You know, like he's a killer, and maybe he'll kill again. No, like that person was probably pretty traumatized by this event. But then there's the third option, like yes, and I loved it. And now all of a sudden, the whole world is different. But like. There's no good answer for that question, but people do ask it. And with kids, with kids, you know, like they'll 
they all know that I went to Iraq. Like I try to like really grow. Like I said, a lot of these kids, they need to make better decisions. So I try to grow them through my military experiences. So they become curious, but I tell them like, this is why you can never ask that question. So like for all the adults out there, please never ask that question. (laughs) What about the PTSD? Last but not least, right? What about the PTSD stuff? Because I think a lot of that's now it's hitting the media like we talked about before. And I think a lot of people are like, ah, PTSD, PTSD, PTSD. And it's like it's kind of a buzzword. And people are constantly probably asking you, so do you have PTSD or, oh, you know, PTSD, it's really bad, huh, bro? And you're like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's bad. I mean, what do I do with that, you know? Sure. You know, like if I could, um, if I could really get, like, wave a magic wand and have everybody understand things, it's that, you know, war doesn't cause PTSD. You know, traumatic events cause post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, people need to understand this. Like, like you remember the, the numbers I was spitting off that, like, like, there's a lot of people who have been veterans, but most of them do not have any sort of mental disability because of it. Like, 7 million people in America are believed to have PTSD, and these aren't just veterans, you know? Like, people who have survived a car wreck have PTSD. Not Not all of them, but, you know, they can. People who saw, like, their little brother get killed falling off a bridge likely are, are really high candidates for having PTSD. You know, people who, who suffer anything extremely bad probably have a good chance of, of developing PTSD. You know, it's, it's not just a veteran thing, and you shouldn't just label veterans as probably having PTSD. Beyond that, you know, PTSD is not something that that is this incurable thing. It's not something that, like, you're going to live with it for a long time, but it's not something that this is a broken human that you need to dissociate yourself with. A lot of people, even even if you were to hire somebody who had PTSD, you know, it's a really easy disease to accommodate for. I mean, if you just allow for time to to go see uh, to go see groups or to see counseling, it's really there's very little more that you need to do is just to allow them time and space so that they can handle it. But I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to build a ramp for it. You don't have to build a special room so that they can uh, take care of whatever it is that they need to take care of. You don't have to keep any special supplies on hand, you know, just having that, that, that door open that they need, they might need to go do a special counseling three or four times a month. You know, that's, that's not a very difficult thing to deal with. There's also this, you know, this idea that they're going to go postal. And, um, you know, that's such a horrible, horrible misconception. You know, like I really imagine that if you're not going to hire a veteran because you think that, you know, he's going to shoot people in the office, you know, that's just as bad as not hiring a black person because he's probably in a gang. Yeah, that's you know, like, true. Like I think that's that, a really good point. I never thought about that, but you're totally right. Well, like, it's, it's like the same thing, and I, that, it makes me so sad to see that, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's the same sort of stereotype mentality that, you know, like, I'm concerned. That's, that's a risk. It's not really a risk. It's not a risk. It's, it's, really, it's really awful for you to think it's a risk, but there's not enough knowledge out there for you to know better. Sure. But um, I don't know. If, if there were anything that I would say about that, it would probably be, be those things, so, you know. A lot of people besides veterans have them. It's not that hard to, uh, 
it's not that hard to accommodate for people that you have. And even if they do have PTSD, which they probably don't, you know, even if they do have it, then um, it's not that much of a danger to you. Right. It's more of a danger to that person. It's less likely yeah. to have a violent response. It's more likely to have a depressing response, right, or depression yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I, like it, it's it's more likely to have a depressing response. That's that's a, that's a good choice of words. I like that. Yeah, like the 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 violence with PTSD, as far as I know, is usually directed at the sufferer, not people around them. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I mean, you can say that that there is that there are cases of of stuff that'll happen in the household, but most most of the trauma that you'll see, it is self directed. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of people that are really just upset, but they focus inward. Like PTSD is a mental disorder based on people who can't express, who can't get out the feelings that are bothering them, whether it's a person who lost somebody they love in a car accident, they can't get over their grief, and it turns inside, and it, it, it rots what's going on on the inside. A person who's suffering PTSD from Iraq is the same way. They're so focused inwardly that, like, they can't let go of a lot of stuff, and you know, it's it's once you're able to communicate that and get it out, that's when you start healing. But you know, it's people who are focused inwardly on themselves that that's that's where a lot of the PTSD comes from. And once once you realize that they're not focused on you, they're focused on themselves, and maybe you can help that, or maybe you can just get out of the way. They're not a danger to you. Well, that's good to know and very excellent, man. Thanks so much for being so candid. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to deliver? Uh, sure. Like I said earlier, um, I'm a writer and blogger who focuses mostly on military and veteran affairs. I often also write on future trends of military technology as well as communicating veteran perspectives on current events and Middle Eastern affairs. I publish in various venues across the web, so for anybody who enjoyed hearing what we talked about today um, and would like to follow what I'm doing or to either know more about myself or the current projects I'm working on, I encourage everybody to follow my blog. Uh, johncthoughts.wordpress.com. There I keep followers up to date on whatever I'm writing about, where I'm being published, anything else I'm doing. You can also follow me on Core, Medium, Wattpad. You're everywhere. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's, that's the hard part is that I am all over the place, so there's not really a central hub except for John Z. Thoughts. But anybody who wants to follow me can know whatever it is that they want to know about me there. Um, I also, everything that I do, I can make completely free and just put it out there. Um, I do that through the website Patreon. It's a crowdsourcing website so that anybody who wants to support is free to do that. And since I'm able to do that, I can do it uh, completely independently. Awesome. All right. So you said Patreon. What is that? I don't think everybody knows what that is. Oh, um, sure. Patreon is a crowdsourcing website where people can donate on a voluntary basis uh, to artists, writers, musicians, just whatever, people who create cool stuff on the Internet. Um, and it's funded on a regular basis. Uh, it's like Kickstarter, like GoFundMe, except instead of many people making small donations for one large lump sum payout, uh, many people donate a small amount to be paid every time that an artist puts something out or on a monthly basis. So that instead of trying to, you know, rebuild the uh, Sistine Chapel, it's just allowing people to continually put out quality stuff that that people enjoy. I'd like to ask uh, your followers that if you support the work I'm doing to pledge through my Patreon support page, if you decide to fund me, the, they'll get special access to 
works I'll be doing in the future, as well as bonus content and my books and stories and anything else that I won't publish anywhere else. Um, you all feel the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping support military veterans, uh, issues awareness, as well as helping me fix my leaky roof, because that's where a lot of money goes to. Um, also know that 20% of my pledges go right back to funding other veteran artists, as well as entrepreneurs attempting to get started as well. Uh, so if you enjoyed hearing what we talked about today on the Art of Charm, I urge you to ensure that more of it keeps happening by visiting my support page at patreon.com backslash John Davis. All right. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate you being so candid and frank and, and coming on and spending your time with us. So happy Veterans Day. Uh, happy Veterans Day to you, too, and thank you so much for helping get, uh, get attention to some really important veterans issues. Interesting bonus episode. Of course, lots of issues there for vets, many of which I will never personally understand firsthand. Going to college after deployment, I can see how that definitely would be like Billy Madison. Just everybody, a bunch of kids around, you know, this one adult who just is an alien for them. And of course, all of these things that we might even think about doing or acting around vets, just we just have no idea what they've gone through or how annoying some of those things can really be. So it's time to let the vets air it out on this Veterans Day episode. Thank you for your service. If you're listening and if you're deployed right now, stay safe, come home. We'd love to see you back in the United States, and we do appreciate what you all do for us, even if sometimes we're really terrible at showing it. Show feedback and guest suggestions. This show is a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to say so on Twitter, bootcamp details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, there's two dots in there. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher or something else that needs to change, get this stuff delivered to your phone or your computer while you sleep. That way you don't miss anything. Of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available, artofcharm.com slash iPhone and theartofcharm.com slash Android. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. And happy Veterans Day. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.